Dr. Jessica Bennett, and this is the Mindful Literacy Podcast. In this podcast, you will hear inspiring interviews with teachers and experts in the field who will give you actionable tips and strategies that you can immediately implement in your teaching practice. Episode 12 is an interview with Principal Pharrell Thomas. Pharrell is the only person in season one who I don't know well. In fact, I have never met him in person. Pharrell popped up in my LinkedIn feed because my guest in episode one, Jim Mahoney, knew Pharrell and had left a note of congratulation on Pharrell's feed about his newly appointed principalship. I really don't get how social media works like this, but the picture of a large, tall, beautifully dressed, and light shining black man behind a principal's desk was cause for me to pause my scroll especially during the height of the Black Lives Matter movement that reignited this summer. Then I listened to his podcast, Heart and Soul of Education, and I knew I had to talk to this man. My research at Ohio State and a large part of my career was learning how to best serve black students, most of whom were living in poverty. Black Lives Matter movement is about lifting people up, out of repression, oppression, suppression. In my opinion, literacy plays a huge part in that. And I want mindful literacy to play a huge part in our cultural evolution and a part in raising our collective consciousness. So not only does this episode come full circle with Jim having unconsciously introduced me to Pharrell, but it comes full circle with the evidence that with support, encouragement, and collective belief that change is possible comes massive transformation. With that, Pharrell and I give you From Bus Driver to Principal. Well, hi, Pharrell. Well, good afternoon, Jessica. Dr. Bennett, may I say? Oh, Principal Thomas, it's nice to meet you. It is nice to meet you, uh, other than uh, text messages and email. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, we were catching up before we started this recording, and I was telling you, every other guest in this first season is someone who knows me very well and who has shaped me as an educator and as a person. And randomly looking on LinkedIn one day, and you're the image of you sitting so tall and proud in a very sharply dressed suit in a school office stopped me dead in my tracks. And I thought, this is why I teach. You're, I think you're 10 years older than me. In the yogic philosophy, we we have this, you do something called a manifestation where you have a goal in mind and you can see it crystal clear and you match the feeling of, of what it feels like to achieve that goal. And then it will be all of the students I've been with over the last 15 years. And some of it was really hard, you know, hard on my own, on my own system, my own emotional system, having to see them go through hardship. And I thought, oh, this there, never lose hope, and always have that. I always had that future goal in mind and match it with the feeling of man. I don't even know you, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's tough because that, as an educator, that's especially you. You remember when you first started your first year, and how you figured that you could save the world, and then you realize it's a bigger bite than what you actually can. I mean, it's huge. It's a huge task and then you then you're disappointed that you know there's someone that you're not going to save and you're like but how <laughs> i mean i remember student teaching and a, and a teacher told me and i was like 
this kid's not getting it. She said, I'm, well, we got to keep going. And I was like, what? She's like, no, I mean, how do we not? I mean, she's like, we can't slow down. I mean, if they don't get it. And that bothered me. That bothered me. It was a very affluent school. There were very few minorities. And there was one kid whose parents that I actually knew. And he was well off too. Minority student in a school with mostly Caucasian students. But there were some who were not that fortunate. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, how can we leave a kid behind? And that that bothered me. And it actually kind of one of the reasons why I got into education. I used to drive a school bus. I drove a school bus in high school and then a little bit in the college. And I saw a teacher just berating this kid. And you, she was just going off. And this kid was like, he was like, just she just totally ripped his head off. And, and felt like a racial tension in between that. And I was like, you know what? I stood right in front of her. I'm the bus driver. I said, you're the reason why I'm going to be a teacher. Because these kids need someone to just make sure they need an example. And it was an African-American young, young man. And I really just wanted to be a teacher for black boys. Then you find out everybody in this whole situation has struggles and issues. And that it's not a color thing. It's not a, a uh, money thing, social economics. It's a heart thing when it's just with kids. You just want to give them your heart. Some of them you want to take home with you. Some of them you, you just, you, you know, you wish you can give them the world. But if we can just give them a little bit of ourselves, you know, I, I say on my podcast, Dr. Meyer Angelou, you know, says, you know, that they can remember what you said, what you did. They always remember how you made them feel. So, yeah, that's that's just my whole preference. And I know you're probably going somewhere else, but I, I just wanted to tell you to just remember when you first started, how it's like, oh, I, can, I want to save the world. And then you realize that that if you can get one, you've done a tremendous job. That's what I've seen, even as a reading teacher, one word at a time, one kid at a time. <laughs> I mean, just one. That one can be a difference, yeah. For sure. And it just goes to show, too, just how connected we all are. You know, I think the reason you came up in my feed was because of my connection to Dr. Mahoney. And he had congratulated you on becoming, you know, your first year principalship in South Carolina. And so, you know, that's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's really cool to know. We're all connected. We are all connected. Here we are. This way we realize as large as this world is in its shape and its complexity, but the all simple, it's all about connections and relationships. So I was in California one time for a conference and uh, I sat across from some ladies at a table. You know, you go to conferences and you see people and they say, hey, how you doing? Where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from South Carolina. I said, Oh, uh, we're from South Carolina. I was like, okay, really? I said, what part? And they told me, I said, oh, I got a cousin that lives there. And I was like, really? It's like, what's your cousin's name? I told him, it's like, that's my neighbor. Right. We're in LA. I meet two ladies who live next door. Uh, one lady lives next door to my cousin. That's just, just crazy. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, the internet brings us even closer together, especially in these times of COVID. It does, it does. So before I have so many questions for you, before I get into my questions, I just want to reflect on your, your podcast is called Heart and Soul. Well, and I think you were actually, you were actually on that first one. I actually, that first one was recorded in my closet one, one day, just reflecting on this pandemic and stuff. And you, you listened to the why, my why. I'll need to give you the link to the, the new one. So it was Heart and Soul of Education. Now it's Heart Work, Education for the Soul. 
So I have a new link, but yes, ma'am, that's my podcast. Yeah, it, it was, I have to tell you, I was, you know, listening it, to it while I was driving and I was just, I mean, goosebumps for almost the whole episode, tears in my eyes, because you talk about the personal adversity that you overcame as a child and why education is so important to you and why you want that to other kids. But you also talk about, you know, your relationship with your father. And I think that's what got me just reeling at what, and the magnanimity of, I mean, I, that picture that came up on LinkedIn, I mean, your heart and soul was coming through that picture. And I saw all of you for all, I saw you and the way that you spoke about your father, even though you had to overcome adversity with him, you came from such a perspective of forgiveness. And it was like, man, this man is enlightened. Well, you know, it's so funny too, because my wife tells me, she jokes, it's like, you forgive everybody. You just, you know, it's hard. It was just, just, no, sometimes it's tough. But what I try to take away from life, and even I tell my staff, because I'm new, I'm a new principal here. They've had a really tough principal prior to me. And then the one who who I just replaced was who came in and kind of reshaped the school and people felt a little more at ease. It's a really family oriented. And I and so I'm, I'm walking in. I'm this big black guy, you know, and I have all these ladies. There's no men here. And, and then they've had the tale of two principles there. One that was really tough and they, they call it the reign of terror. And then they had a really calm lady who kind of brought everything back. Now they have me, but I'm trying to tell them what you see is what you get. I like to have fun. I like for kids. It's the same way I did my classroom. If you didn't like coming to my classroom, I didn't say that was a problem with the kid. I said that was a problem with me because my place needs to be a place that you want to be in. So my, my environment needs to be that. And so I'm like that. I mean, even in the roughest of my times, I believe that the people that work with you and that the kids that you teach, they are wanting the best of you. And even when we're going through situations that it's not their concern. They, they're not concerned because they have so many issues of their own that they're dealing with. And so, you know, I, I've always felt that way. But yeah, my dad, it was, it was a rough situation for me growing up, even in his death and his passing, and even all the stuff that I went through uh, physically and emotional, a lot of emotional abuse, if you want to say, there was some physical, but it wasn't really physical with me a lot as much more of it was with my mom, but it was a lot of emotional abuse. And even at that, I've said, well, this is still my dad. I still really respected him. I, you know, when I graduated from high school, I said, oh, my dad's missed this. When I got married, my father's missed this. When I graduated from college, my dad's missed this. And, you know, and, and I'm the oldest. And, and one thing I can say with him is he still had the expectation of us being good students in, in, in school, even though he was very abusive. Thank you for being such a good example, too, of being able to come kind of outside your own body and take on another perspective almost. I mean, that's that's what you have to do to forgive. And so I think it's just a wonderful example. Right, right, right. Well, you know, like I said, it's tough, but we can let that that stuff can poison us uh, in, our, in our situation. And so uh, it's just as I've learned to kind of kind of look, you know, look forward and people make mistakes. I mean, and things happen. And I was just reading just yesterday about that. And it's sometimes it's hard. The humanistic part of us, that's just hard when someone has done something wrong to us for us to, to, to say, 
I'm okay with that. Me, as far as a believer in Christ, I try to manifest that and say, I'm not him totally, still working on that, but I try to try to try to lead to let that be my example. And I just reading things that I do, and that's one of the things that is about forgiveness. I mean, it's almost like you don't let that be the power that rules you. And so I've refused to give my power away to someone else who's continuing to move on. And you know, they're gone about their business, and I'm letting something affect me and hold me down and stop me from being productive because I need just need to release that. I don't like to give my power away to somebody else who's going to dictate what I do. So Yeah, totally. And it sounds like you are almost saying too, the buck stops here. I'm going to be the dad I wanted to have. <laughs> right, 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 right. And if I've tried to do that too, you know, I've, that's, I, mean, I have four kids and um, it is my, I got the last one at home. He's 15. I was just, I bought him a car last Friday. And because of, me maneuvering economically, I'm, I can say to speak. So I didn't realize till yesterday on my podcast what I had done. I bought him a car. But my rationale of that, he needed one because I've been calling Ubers and Lyfts to pick him up to go different places because I work an hour away from home. And then my wife has a business and she's doing something. And so it's like he needs to get around. So he's got to go to his trainer. He needs to go to work. He's a lifeguard this year. And I was like, you know, well, it'll help us out. So he's the youngest. But I bought him a two-door. I'm ashamed to even say this now. So so funny. I bought him a two-door hardtop convertible, red Mercedes. What was I thinking? I really, I'm I'm like, what am I, what? What was I thinking? But I would tell you, my rationale was like, okay, he's, he's, he's like a really nice kid. He really is. I can see kids asking him for a ride if he, whatever car is that. So I got him a car, but well, the, the roof doesn't work. He can't let down. So I'll get that fixed later. It's hard to get into the trunk. So he's going to put his book bag in the other seat so he can't drive anybody but himself. So I'm like, that's what I was thinking, not the red hardtop Mercedes Benz. And so then I got to thinking, really, truly, so he'll fit in in the parking lot of the school because he's going to a school with very few minorities and very few kids that probably look like him that will drive a car like that. But he'll have other kids who will drive a car that will be better than that. It's 20 years old. It's a 2000 car. It's it's year 2000. But then I got to thinking, Dr. Bennett, what did I do to my kid? And now I'm going to have to have a conversation with him leaving his friend's house or leaving the school parking lot that he's a 16-year-old in a red convertible estate. Socially, what have I done to him that now I'm going to have a conversation about police. Now I'm going to have to have a conversation with him about leaving his friend's house and someone calling the police on him saying this kid just stole a car because he doesn't fit what somebody thinks that he should drive. And that's a sad conversation because I have friends who probably won't have to have that conversation with their children. So that's a sad thing to think about because of my success and me being able to do what I can for him. It's going to bring back a whole, going to bring about a whole different situation for him, which is unfortunate. I think that's the situation we're still in where we're having to social injustice and things that are still a problem in this country. Some people truly don't believe just based on the color of your skin that that you're entitled to the same liberties 
that they are. And um, I got a little bothered by that last night as I, I thought about that. And when we were talking about private schools versus public schools and some of the makeup last night on my podcast, and I was like, what did I do? What really did I do? I kind of like some part of me feels like I need to get him a different car. And that's sad that I have to think that way. It, it really is because I'm thinking, sitting here thinking, I know why you bought him that car for all, because you just told me a story before we started recording that you were riding a public bus from a battered and abused shelter just to and from school, you know? That I could do that. It really did. My wife said, he doesn't need that car. But at the same, I mean, I really felt good that I could give my kids something that I never had. So my mom remarried. And so my stepfather, I, I remember I saved up money to buy a car. And he drove it. I never drove it. He drove it and blew the engine out of it. And I spent it and never paid me the $800 that I spent to get that car. Then, so I got another car and I had to purchase that. And so uh, all three of my kids did drove, they had cars, but I was able to buy it. Growing up, again, you would have told me being a kid and being in how I grew up that I could do something like that for my children. I would have told you, you're, you're crazy. You're lying. You know, living in a shelter, watching uh, my mother being abused, our family being abused, uh, just emotional uh, abuse that I took. My dad said I wasn't his child. I was called a bastard, stuff like that. You know, he actually tried to set me on fire once, uh, doused me with kerosene. My mom had to stand in between. I mean, just the little stuff of that. I and mean, yes, and able to do for my children. Yeah, that was big for me. So I was, that was, you're right. That was one of the biggest reasons why, I mean, I was very honored to be, I mean, the, the look on his face when I brought it and showed him, he was beyond ecstatic. I don't even think he really, it could have been the Mercedes. It could have been, I don't know, but it just could have fact that he was given a car. So. so did you have a conversation yet with him about sort of driving behaviors? And I mean, I feel it is kind of like he, he really can't mess up. He's really got to go exactly the speed limit. He's got to put his seat like. Yeah, I have. He still has his beginner's permit. He's going to get his license probably within the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, or this weekend, we're going to have to have that conversation. Seriously. And that, again, that's just a tough situation because uh, we got kids that look like him and, and schools and who doesn't have that support, who doesn't have someone to give them those conversations. And I feel that's where teachers come in. Prefer teachers say, well, it's not my job. I'm not the parent and I can't. But you know what? We are. We are. We're having to take on more roles and responsibilities that we've ever had to. But I think in this, that's why my podcast is called Hard Work, Education for the Soul. You have to connect. You have to do what you do with your heart. Because if you don't, some kids are not going to get what they need. So, I mean, you said you experienced that as a teacher. I mean, kids are hungry. Kids are, I mean, why would I want to talk about Columbus reaching America in 1492, selling across from for Spain and doing this and when they don't have any food at home? There's no one to help them with homework. I had a kid once in my class. He was the oldest of seven children, and he was in the third grade. He was the oldest of seven kids, and he was in the third grade. He slept the first half of the uh, school day every day because his mother was a dancer, stripper, and he watched the children. And so, and when he was awake, he fussed at everybody because he was used to being daddy, quasi-dad at home. 
And I had to say, listen, you don't have to be that. I need you to be you. I need to be you. And this connection. I mean, and I mean, I found that out and then I was able to understand. So I let him sleep for the first half and didn't bother him at all. When he woke up, we'll catch you up because he was having to deal with that. And so it, it teachers don't make those connections, don't make those hard connections or leave those hard prints. Some of our kids are just not, it's not going to be enough to know the standards in order for, for that grade or have a high school diploma. It's not going to be enough. Right. It's a social emotional development. And so speaking of that, I w- I'm really curious to hear, you know, because I think about kids like that who need school to be the center of their day in their community. You talk about this in your first episode, which I think is why I connected with you so much. I remember teaching in a city school and it was coming up on spring break. That's only one week off. And the kids were like devastated that they ha- they couldn't come to school for a week. Right. And now we're talking about, I don't know, you tell me what it's like right now in school district, but like where, I, where we are, we don't know when kids are going to be able to go back. So today, right before this podcast, we actually, oh, I was shooting a video that's going to be shown across the district until our parents and put on social media. So I'm at elementary school and we were representing the rest of the elementary schools and showing the protocols. If you were a car rider, if you were a bus rider, walking in the hallways, the classrooms. And so we are planning to start school September the 8th. And which is later in the South, that's late. So we usually start now Northern city, uh, Northern states usually have always done that, started after Labor Day because it's the last of the summer vacation, blah, blah, blah. But we usually start about the second week of August, second or third week in August. And so this is a different for us. I got a lot of my parents anxious right now because it's August. And so they're, traditionally they're used to starting school. But we're trying to prepare. So we have three scenarios. Uh, if we're green, if we're coded green, that means kids come into the building. We will still practice some social distance and things. But uh, green means that there's a low level of incidence rate of COVID in the uh, in the area. And that's going to be determined by our Department of Health and Human uh, Services, Health and Environmental Control, actually DHEC, what it's called. And they're going to determine based on data coming in, whether we're at a high level, mid-level, or extremely low level of rates of incidence. So green means everybody comes in the building. Yellow means we're on a hybrid schedule, meaning divided by alphabet. So one half comes on Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, there's a e-learning day for everybody. The buildings go through a rigorous cleaning. And then on Thursday, Friday, a second half of students come in and so you're on either two days on, three days off, or three days off, two days on. And so uh, that's where our mid-level, and if we're at a high incident rate, that's considered red, and we're e-learning for everybody. And then we have a second option, totally, where parents have to enroll in virtual academy, and that's, that's where they're going to get virtual learning every day for the first semester of school, so the first half of school. Teachers will report to the building and teach from their classroom under that e-learning format. And so I'll still get the support of the teachers. So we're looking like, so we'll wait on September the 8th. We know that we'll start school. It'll be either one of those scenarios, green, yellow, or red. We're doing e-learning completely throughout the district, or we're doing a hybrid schedule, or we're all good to go for the green. I don't foresee it being a green level. 
as we start off. I foresee it's going to be at least yellow or red, meaning the the hybrid or the uh, completely e-learning for everybody. And of course, if you've chosen the virtual, then that's what you get. So school will start September the 8th for our students. Yeah, that sounds pretty familiar. That's kind of what we're doing too. I, we've Our district is now we're doing 100% online to start with. I mean, what's your biggest, what do you foresee being the biggest challenge or barrier for kids doing online learning? So what I'm preaching to my staff is I'm actually, I've created what we call a uh, school leadership council. And with the school leadership council, I have a representative for cluster of grades, kindergarten and first grade cluster, second and third, and then fourth and fifth. And then I have a representative for special education, a representative, my uh, reading interventionist, she's on there, my nurse, school nurse, and then my uh, instructional coach. And so in my uh, guidance counselor. So we're all on this. And so we met today. I kind of ran through with them, you know, like how we're going to, what we do, you know, each day to try to get the teachers prepared. And again, what, what, I'll say that question again one more time, because I think I kind of got off track. Considering that in normal circumstances, we know we have children who need to come to school to feel safe, to get food, to feel loved. Now we're talking about a situation where those kids don't access, have access. Okay, right. Blood, the food. For me, the big part, too, what I've been trying to articulate to my leadership team that we pass down to our teachers, other teachers, is that if we're virtual, I still want you to make those connections. I mean, if you may have to do a Google Meets individual kids, as well as a class thing, the contact with the parents. You know, my biggest fear, when we're starting, we're going to do one week before school starts. We're doing what we call in the leap uh, day. And that's where we're leap week where we're getting some data. So kids are coming in for map testing. Kids are coming in for our kindergartners are coming for my kindergarten ready assessment, uh, testing KRS. Our K-4s are doing our PALS um, assessment. And so we're doing a lot of those assessments on those kids on those days. But we got to understand about building relationships. And my biggest fear for kids, you've been away from a building six months. So now I'm concerned about that separation anxiety that a kid may have that's been home that long now. And on top of it, the reason why they've been out of school, because then now we had to wear a mask. And so it's a different world. My parents can't come in the building. So I'm afraid on that first week of my kindergartners who may cry, who may who not want to get out of the car, and then that parent who wants to come in the building, I can't let them. You know, it just that's really gonna do something to me. I I don't know emotionally how I'm gonna how that's gonna how I'm gonna I gotta be prepared to not show that emotion right there for that kid. Me personally, Mr. Thomas will want to pick that kid up, bring him in, but then we still gotta practice it's like how can we do school because there's an emotional piece for school, I really believe. How are we going to do school and separate emotion? But personally, I think if you can't do school like you normally do it, then we we need to do that e-learning. But parents have to work. And kids, this was the most structured part of some kids' lives. They know that they're getting fed. They're getting, I mean, we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs being met right here in this building given what those some of those kids don't get, the love, the affection, the direction, and the drive. And, and, and so, so what else? So how do we separate putting that in there as that kindergarten teacher holding that baby's hand and just saying, 
it's okay. But no, I got to put on a glove. I got to put on a mask. I can't give you a hug. I mean, we. I mean, me being who I am, that's going to be very difficult for me. I'm gonna, I, there's a lot of teachers that are going to find that very difficult as well to kind of like, I don't want a kid to feel like I want to distance myself from them. But at the same time, my teachers got to feel protected as well. I don't even know how to even fandom how to handle that. So we got to find those ways to still make those connections even with all this stuff going on. Yeah, totally. I'm a hugger too. So yeah, <laughs> in a minute, Thomas a hug. Yeah, yay! High five. This that you know, make him feel good. So I'm actually, I just talked to a group of teachers. I'm thinking about getting some have music playing out outside, some fun music and balloons and a maybe a bubble blower, a bubble machine, or something where the kids feel like okay. All right, I can do this. I'm all right. But you know, that's still not gonna work for them all. I know how that works. So Tommy, you're starting, you know, your first year as a principal with a new staff. I see it behind you on your wall. You have hashtag we will and hashtag we can. Look at you, yes. We are, and it says hashtag we are Waterloo Elementary. We will, hashtag we will, and hashtag we can. Yes. It's great. Your heart and soul and your podcast definitely comes out and you're super positive. And I was giggling when I was listening to the part when you were talking about, hey, if your cup is empty and you're grouchy in this job, you better think about doing something else. You're kind of having to be the, the foundation of the staff and also the cheerleader. So what is your message to them in these unprecedented times, knowing we're going to have challenges that we can see and challenges we don't even know yet? It goes back probably in the middle of summer break, July 23rd. I had a faculty meeting and I told those who can come into the building, we wore a mask, we were social distance. Those who couldn't, it was on Google Meet where they can connect. And I said, this is a different time. We're going to ask a whole lot of you to do more than what you've ever done before because there's a different need. Leadership at this time, I think, Leaders need to be completely transparent. And I, I don't know if everybody's capable of doing that. That's the way I operate. I don't want them to ever feel like they can't come with a question or they don't know. I told them I'd rather them hear me say something over and over again and say, I'm so tired of that man saying this. I'd rather them know that or them to not know something and I and try to have to figure things out. So Transparent as a leader, I think it's very important. Being positive and upbeat, I'm not going to lie, this is probably the most challenging time to be a principal, a new principal uh, in any situation because there's so many unknowns. It's not like an algebra equation where X equals Y, this, and then we're solving for X or Y. Uh, There may not be, you may not be able to solve the equation uh, and you're going to have to kind of figure it out. My figuring out is two things. I told my my staff, I said, I don't care about your religious beliefs, your political beliefs, your social beliefs, any of those things I'm not really concerned about. Here's two things in this building I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the kids in this building, and I'm concerned about you. Other than that, we have to learn that we're working together and that I want to make sure that my staff's safe, that my children are safe, and that my children are learning. That's kind of the, the message I've been articulating and communicating with them. And we have a Remind 101, if you've seen that app before, 
where I send out a text message to the teachers, uh, the staff, to let them know what's going on, if this changed, sending emails, any new updates. Every Thursday before I leave for the weekend, because we're closed on Fridays for the summer, I do a video, a live video on uh, Facebook for my parents and, and even for teachers because they follow it as well that uh, to give them what's going on in the district, what's changed, what's same. I just had uh, one of the churches come by, community churches, let me use their bus to simulate for this video that we shot. And um, I asked about when church, I'm probably going to attend their church Sunday. Now, I haven't been to my own church since this COVID situation because we've been doing online church. And then we were doing, uh, they're doing, I think our church, my church is doing a drive by. I mean, you can come in your car and they're, they're outside, the pastor's outside, the choir's outside. And so, and then everybody's in their cars. And so they, and then, so you can roll down your windows or, you know, watch it on the Facebook still, or whatever. But I, I, I'm going to, there's, we have grandparents that are, that have custody of their grandchildren who are raising them, who are not tech savvy. So social media is not something that's in their repertoire. Uh, we have a lot of people that may not even be possible where their their level of reading is high enough for some of the things that we send in the mail. I'm going to visit churches. I'm going to start visiting churches on Sundays and tell them, this is what's going on. Your child's safety is first priority. My teacher's safety is, is priority. And uh, again, what you believe in, what you who you pay your whatever to, your political, again, all of that aside for me. Is the positive in the school, the growth of my students, the safety of and of them uh, in the building and out the building, the welfare of my te- uh, teachers. I think those are going to be great cornerstones to live by as we get through, as we navigate through this situation. And, you know, as you said, solving one problem can sometimes cause another, like, you know. Right. Yeah. Asking a question leads to another question, which finds out that that is a problem. <laughs> You know, and with that being said, I mean, teaching in this climate took a toll on me, you know, teaching virtually where I was like, you know, I'm an intervention specialist. I'm trying to catch kids up. I'm going, I talk fast. I walk fast. I'm trying to grow kids really fast. And we just had to all go. Yeah. And I'd be in that screen going, how are you? No, no. (laughs) Really? How are you doing? We're not going to even, we're not even going to read right now. I just need to see you. I mean, that's been my message as well. Social and emotional learning. When we do, if kids go back into the building, I'm, I'm stressing to the teachers, my reading, math, and all this stuff is important. But again, I feel like kids can't learn if we're not meeting them and those other aspects of their life socially and emotionally. We have to tap in that part first. And, and that's where I'm really stressing. Matter of fact, we're reading a, a book. Our book study is going to be on on about connecting, loving, and working from the heart. We're doing a book study with that because I feel like the social and emotional piece is the biggest part of what we're having to do when they come back. Um, Again, standards and curriculum, we're praying, I'm praying that we get the waiver for no, no testing again, like we did last year, because I think that'll take a little off on teachers on the complexity of what we're dealing with on the pandemic situation. So it kind of gives us that breath where I'm not stressing to try to get there. So my test scores are going to be X, Y, and Z, and we really get to 
to deal with the whole student instead of just pushing through standards and to get ready for a test at the end of the year. Well, I'm curious to know if you think there's maybe a bigger life lesson here to, for our kids to learn. You know, when they're watching us respond and react every minute, so how, what's, our, what's the dialogue in our head that's coming out of our mouths and how are we reacting to the adversity? Because really they're learning how to react to adversity right now. Yeah, that's why, you know, you, early on when you, we first got on here, you were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter and things of that to George, the George Floyd situation. Now, I, I'm going to be honest. Because he wasn't the person that has been killed at the hands of law enforcement in that magnitude. But what happened was, because we were in the middle of a pandemic, the world had stopped. And because the world had stopped, people were able to see and hear. People watched that video and felt that tremendous pain because they were able to see it because there were no other distractions around us. And I, and I think in the situation, and when we saw a huge movement from young people we have now, so the spotlight is now back on flip onto these adults. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle this? And how are we going to come out of this on the other side? What does that look like? And I think even for even some of our kids, they become more socially aware of what's happening. And so I think what's going to happen is that uh, people are going to be called out and say, you're going to hear some folks say, this is not right. I think some people are going to be checking. I think kids are going to be checking adults now. I think they're in a situation where they realize that this is not wrong. I'm not being treated right. And so I think that if, if folks are not, if you, you know, I've said this over and before, over and over again to my friends and they're like, and they thought I was crazy. It's like, I said, y'all are worried about police, but I need more people to be worried about what's going on in classroom because those same Police officers and things, so that they, some of them have wives or husbands who have the same beliefs that they do, and it matriculates into a classroom. And so, me as a leader, I'm going to make sure, and that's why this office, one thing to see the things in this office, but this office is probably where I'm going to be at the end of the day. During the day, I'm going to be in classrooms to make sure that I'm holding people accountable, uh, that I'm making sure that the kids are being treated. Fairly. I just did a podcast on equity versus equality. I mean, there's a huge difference on equity and equality. I, I can give you the little picture that circulates around where uh, kids are trying to watch a baseball game and they're all different heights. But if I give them the same size box, the one that's small, still not going to be able to see over the fence. I got to give a different box and different standard to different kids based on where they are according to what I want, to, the goal that I want them to get. Some are going to need a lot of this from me. Some are going to need that bit of me. But at, at the end, they're all going to need something from me. And so uh, equity and equality, we, again, we just got to make sure that uh, I think that the kids are now watching adults to see if they're really walking the walk and talking the talk. If not, I think they can call them out on it. Yeah, this situation is hard. It's hard as a parent. It's hard as a teacher. It's hard. It's hard on everybody in different ways. And I have to believe that we're going to come out better for it if we can get ourselves together, working together, <laughs> rowing in the same direction. We're in a great opportunity to hit a reset button. Okay, no more standardized testing. Good, because kids hate it. Teachers hate it. Parents hate it. So how can we hold each other accountable by the conversations that are happening in classrooms between teachers and students, by the conversations happening between students and students? 
right? I mean, wouldn't that be yeah. like wave my magic wand? That's what I want to happen. But, but you know what? Again, I mean, this situation has allowed us to hit a reset because some of what we have been doing has not been working. And now this is making us look at how we do what we do in a different perspective. Let's, let, we're able to uh, hit that reset button. And, and because of that, we got a chance to get it right. We got a chance to get it right. My first wife passed away and I was a single dad with three kids, uh, two, four, and six. Just finishing my, uh, I was going into my last semester to be a certified teacher. So I had my student teaching left to do. And I remember a lot of times, a lot of people, they would come over to the house and doing that time frame. Everything happens for a reason. I, and, I, and I didn't want to hear that. If I had heard that phrase one more time, I was going to scream or choke someone. But as a, more and more, I started to see that, that is a, that's a true statement. Everything happens for a reason, and maybe sometimes reasons we don't understand at a particular time. So I think that we globally have been hit with a situation that it has happened for a reason. And we need to take advantage of the situation. Like, yeah, this is an opportunity for us to make some corrections and get some things right. Yeah, totally. I don't want to keep you much longer because I know you have a school to run. But I just want to wrap up by I'm thinking back to that conversation with your son in his car. And I'm thinking how that conversation is going to go for you all. I think it's probably terrifying no matter what to have a child start to drive, but it's almost like with freedom comes great responsibility. And I've learned through my yogic practice to meet intensity with questions. So I feel like not only for your son, but also for all of our children, when you're met with an an intense situation, have your question, your line of questions ready. Maybe it's one or two questions, but hopefully this does not happen to your son, but he gets pulled over. He wasn't doing anything wrong. What's his question going to be? And then what's his next question going to be? And maybe it's, can I call my dad? I don't know, <laughs> but I think we have to start asking the right questions. I agree. And that's, uh, I think, one thing that we can do a better job in educational uh, world as far as our kids. It's uh, being problem solvers and critical thinkers. I don't think we do enough of that. I mean, again, we get tired. I mean, all going into that deeper level of thinking. So my son is interesting because he's the he's the youngest. So um, and he's so when I remarried after my older children's uh, mother passed away, um, he's very inquisitive. So and he does ask those questions. And so now I'm going to have to, you know, just have that conversation. But it's the right questions. Like I said, even in our classrooms, that's what we it's allowing kids to even ask questions and be curious and to explore and I, I think some teachers get afraid of the questions because some of them don't have the answers and that's okay it's okay because this is what I used to tell my kids it was so funny I had a conversation with a friend last night I used to tell my students in class that don't always believe everything that I say I mean, I'm not going to lie to you but what I'm saying is you don't always take people's word at face value learn to research things yourself so what I was telling my students that even I can be wrong. I don't, I'm not, just because I'm the teacher and the authority in the classroom doesn't mean that I am right. And so I even allow my, my children in class to challenge me. And I think that's where we have even some teachers are afraid for children because they feel, quote unquote, in the South, that they're being disrespectful. They, they may not have that parent, like you said, to teach them to ask the right question. So they're 
how they framed it may be the wrong way, but you got to respect as a teacher, you respect the kids asking you that question. So we can teach you how to ask that question correctly, but don't be afraid or don't disallow them to ask the question. Yeah, I love it. Sometimes we won't have the answers sometimes too. And that's okay. No, we won't. And it's okay. It's okay to tell them because teachers are going to ask me questions and I may not have the answers, but I'll tell them I'll find out. Let's let me come back to you. Are you gone? Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me on the Mindful Literacy podcast this afternoon. Um, I'll put your your podcast in the show notes. And if you need anything at all from Mindful Literacy practice, you know, your teachers can certainly join our teacher tribe. And we have a parent society, too, if your parents need help. Then the other part of this is I'm trying. So I have this nonprofit called Mindful Literacy Columbus, and I'm trying to raise money to provide tutoring to kids really need it and maybe not wouldn't have access to it otherwise. So the the purpose of this podcast is to build awareness for that. And so even though we don't, I don't know you, I feel like now you're stuck with me and I'm going to have to um, keep up with your journey and you're going to be that end goal for a lot of the kids. I hope to be able to touch with the light of education and reading. Absolutely. If I need to come to Ohio anytime, you let me know, but also, yes, send me the information so I can uh, make a contribution well thank you very much oh absolutely and then other people when we i share that for you know there's always people i know that likes to give money to things and we definitely do that i definitely will be a part of giving to uh, what you're doing because that is definitely needed you have shown you are a true example where we saw showing your hard work so i appreciate you and you showing your heart to students and to parents because it's needed and more so now than ever so Thank you for listening. Oh, thank you so much, Pharrell. If you enjoyed this podcast, please find us on Facebook at Mindful Literacy Practice. Our Facebook page for our nonprofit is at Mindful Literacy Columbus. If you are a parent, I invite you to join our free and private group on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Parent Society. If you are a teacher, I invite you to join our free and private group on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Teacher Tribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Mindful Literacy Practice. Our website is mindfulliteracypractice.org. Make sure to check out our nonprofit tab where we give you all the information you need to find a scholarship, become a tutor, make a donation, or volunteer. Thank you so much for listening with the deepest gratitude.